Our text today, um, we can find in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And if you have your Bibles with you in any other translation, you can read with me silently. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. May the Lord be worshipped and praised by the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for these words of life. Lord, we pray that you will open our hearts, our minds today, so that we may see your truth and apply them in our lives. Father, we pray that you will be with us as we study your word. And may the Holy Spirit be with us as we discuss and deal with the truth that is now presented to us. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all be seated. We have just finished the entire quarter on our sermon series on Revive, and we sincerely hope that by now we have learned something from our sermons. We've discussed this almost from January or Feb up until the entire month of April. And uh, we hope that through the sermons, the discussion in your care groups, or even the conversations that you've had, uh, we have learned what Revive is all about. And we hope also that we have changed or we have redefined what revival is to you and what it is not. And last week, what a great challenge and what a way to recapitulate or re summarize our Revive series by this very beautiful encouragement uh, from our brother Sam that we should be uh, a witness and then let's go and be a witness because I think that is the ultimate expression of our revival when we are able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And I hope and I know that you agree with me on that. So today, we will start our Rebuild series uh, for the entire quarter. And uh, before we even rebuild, I think the first question that we need to ask is that, what was there in the first place? Because when you say uh, revive, rebuild, or restore, the prefix re means repeat or another. So what was there in the first place? So in this quarter, we will try and we will attempt to discuss, explore biblically what we mean by rebuilding, rebuilding our church, rebuilding our communities, our uh, country, rebuilding our families. I know many of you could relate to that. Or even rebuilding our inner self. So 
Um, we hope that you will pray with us as we would discuss and explore these topics in the next few months. Um, and so today, as a start, we have read this narrative from the book of Matthew, from the Gospel of Matthew, and we've read uh, the response of Peter. And we will study that today and the confession that Peter made on who Jesus is. But before I go that, let me just digress a bit um, on this story. When my wife hasn't known the Lord yet, because my wife came from another Christian tradition, um, as Filipinos, you know uh, what tradition I'm referring to, there was this church, a uh, stone throw away from them in Mandaluyong City, um, and she did not know anyone. My wife did not know anyone from the evangelical side. She grew up from that tradition, and then uh, she probably haven't been to any evangelical or Christian church. So in that case, um, this church there uh, picked her interest and curiosity. What is this church? Why is it there? And one day, my wife was telling me, she asked her mom, why don't we go to that church? Why do we have to go a few rides from this place to the church we're going to? And her mom told her, we don't go there because it's just for praise the Lord or it's for the praise the Lord people. Imagine the mere presence of that church. The mere presence of that church gave her some sense of awakening. It sparked some questions in her heart, probably questioned her faith, and picked her interest, curiosity. What is this church all about? That is what she asked. And you know, my dear friends, it's no coincidence that the title of my sermon is the same name of that church, where my, just uh, the, the church where my wife um, is referring to. The church, the name of that church that I'm referring to is the Church Upon the Rock United Methodist Church. And that is my uh, title for today, The Church Upon the Rock. And I told my wife, if ever we'll go back, we have to be there, worship with these people, and tell them that the mere presence of their church created some curiosity in you about Christianity. So church upon the rock. And we've just read that. We've just read this narrative in the scriptures about these things. And let me just quickly give you a brief background and the immediate context of the text that we have just read. Uh, in chapter 15, in chapter 16, the context of that is that you know that Jesus fed 4,000. And he healed people. And Jesus is now a well-known rabbi. Could you imagine having a large feeding program of 4,000, healing people, teaching? So Jesus is now well-followed by the Jews and the Israelites. And having him being followed by many Jews, of course, he is now very much in the radar of the religious leaders. At, you know this, this, uh, who these religious leaders are. They are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. So he's very much into their radar. So in chapter 16, the, the start of that, because of that curiosity, because he's already inside the radar of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees actually demanded him a sign. That if you are um, uh, from heaven, why don't you give us a sign? Something to that effect. So he, they're demanding him of a sign. But Jesus, of course, did not show them any sign. What sign are they still asking? Could you imagine? And so Jesus said, beware of the yeast 
of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's referring to their teaching. He's referring to what they stand for. Could you imagine? These people are very learned in the law. They open their Bible, but they're still missing Jesus Christ. Perhaps in the mind of these Pharisees and Sadducees, who is this itinerant preacher? Isn't he the son of a carpenter? Why is he now becoming a rabbi? Why did he suddenly break the sin, making miracle, making these large feeding programs, caring for the poor? Why is he doing that? Is he the Messiah? Or perhaps if there's a hint that he is the Messiah, perhaps they wanted to deny him. Why? Because it appears to us that while he's a great teacher, he feeds a lot of people, he heals a lot of people, but he isn't the political leader that we wanted. Unlike so many religious leaders nowadays, Jesus wasn't interested in politics. And so perhaps the Pharisees and Sadducees, he couldn't be the Messiah because he isn't interested so much in politics. So it appears to them that the scriptures that they read the signs that they see, the character investigation that they're doing uh, with Jesus Christ points out that he might be the Messiah in their minds. But I've said it cannot be true. He cannot be the Messiah because he's from Galilee. He's just a son of a carpenter. He couldn't be the Messiah. But it appears that all prophetic signs is pointing to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But they're missing it. They're missing it. And so with that, Jesus warned his disciples against these Pharisees and the Sadducees. And of course, because of his being well-known, he's now very famous now as a rabbi and a teacher, people are probably buzzing around him and probably talking about Jesus. And so today, with our short time together, we will discuss and I will offer to you the three Ps of this text, the text that we have read, Matthew 16, chapter 13, verses 20. The three Ps. The first P that we're going to discuss here will be the probe. What were the questions Jesus posed to his disciples? And why is it related to our pursuit to rebuild? The second one is that we will look into the proclamation made by Peter. Why is it important and why is it significant to us? And thirdly, we will look into the third P, which is the pledge, a guarantee or an assurance. What is the assurance, the pledge Jesus made on the strength of the proclamation made by Peter? What uh, are the relationships of these three uh, and their um, a relationship between and among each other. So we will try to discuss all of these things today, and I hope that today uh, our minds will be illumined with this text. So I will not uh, go further. I'll go first uh, with the first P that we have right now. On verse 13, now you see that the text starts with this. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm reading the wrong... Marami talagang mali na magkakamali ngayon. Sorry. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, there are, there's a probe, there's a question. Diba? A probe means a question or inquiry. So there's a question. The first question is this. The first question is, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That is the first 
question. Now, this question is a loaded question because the Son of Man, we know, is the common reference Jesus would style himself with. He would say the Son of Man. But of course, he is the Son of Man. He's the son of Joseph. And Brother Sam is correct. At least in the legal sense, he is the son of Joseph in the legal sense. He is a son of man. He is the son of Mary. So this is the common title used by Jesus Christ. So he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Did the disciples answer him? Of course, they answered him. What were the answers of the disciples? These are their answers. We could find that in verse 14. And they said, the disciples said, they say it could be John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they say John the Baptist. What um, do these Bible characters have in common? By the way, the surname of John is not Baptist. As much as Jesus Christ's surname is not Christ, by the way. So John the Baptist. Because uh, Now, going back, what is, what is the common among these people? Of course, we know that John the Baptist heralds the coming of the Messiah. He is saying in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We also know Elijah, the prophet who spoke uh, about the salvation of God against the background of a lot of false prophets and teachers. He spoke about the salvation of God. Jeremiah also spoke about the deliverance of people, the salvation of Israel uh, in the midst of um, conquest and oppression to the Israelites. And of course, in all of the prophets. All of the prophets will tell you about the coming king, the coming Messiah, the coming of the Lord. So that's how they answered, who do people say the Son of Man is? So they think perhaps that Jesus is just a heralder of that Messiah. He is not yet the Messiah. But... The question of Jesus Christ is very important because for any Jewish audience that is there, for any learned Jewish learner that is there who have heard perhaps or who might probably hear that question, it will evoke a very critical and very glorious claim on the title Son of Man. The Jews who regard Daniel as one of the great Jews of their time, made this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. Therefore, the word son of man is not just simply being a son of a mortal being. And we read that in Daniel chapter 7. The son of man has a very critical, glorious claim. Let us read Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. I saw... In the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, the first to God. 
and was presented before him. Now look how the Ancient of Days treated the Son of Man. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So for any Jewish audience that is learned, claiming son of man is claiming something else. Wait a minute. Are you referring to Daniel 7? Are you referring, referring to Daniel's vision? Because the Son of Man is no ordinary man in Daniel 7. He is that of an equal to God. To be given that kingship, to be given that power, to be given that kingdom that will have no end. You must not be a human being alone. You must be that of an equal to the Ancient of Days. And Jesus claimed himself as the Son of Man. For the Jewish hearers, this is not a claim, as I've mentioned earlier, and not a claim only to being a son of a mortal being. It has a prophetic significance. It has messianic overtones over it in reference to Daniel chapter 7. And we will later on see when Jesus had one clash with the uh, religious leaders, he admitted actually to be the Messiah and the son of the living God. Now, whenever they hear the word son of man, it evokes in them Daniel chapter 7. So that is very important. I just want you to take that for a moment. We will be back there. Just take that. Now, there's a second question. What is the second question Jesus asked uh, from his disciples? We could read that from verse 15. The second question is, who do you say I am? Sinabi nila, tinatanong niyo sino Anong sinasabi nila tungkol sa Son of Man? O sinabi nila, ah, eto, ganito, ganyan. Pero nagtanong ngayon si Jesus, Now you, who do you say I am? So you know, in other words, Jesus is asking, So how do you know me? What is my character to you? Of course, one of the disciples replied. At sino po ang nagreply sa kanya? Walang iba kundi si Simon Peter. And we know Simon Peter. Simon Peter ay very uh, impulsive. He said something like this. He said this. This is his answer. His answer. You are the Messiah. In the ESV, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. Now, Jesus claimed this. Jesus claimed this. While in the Gospels, we could not read the exact words, the exact words, I am God. But the scriptures is full of references, expressions, and proclamations of the deity of Christ. In fact, he claimed this, that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. We can read this in Mark chapter 14, verses 61 to 64. Look at how it happened and how this will pan out in reference to Daniel 7. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, or the Son of the Living God? And Jesus said, I 
But he didn't stop there. He evoked and somehow quoted Daniel 7. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. If you will read this, you will have a reference to Daniel chapter 7 because the Son of Man is coming from the clouds. Am I right? So wait a minute. Jesus, you're claiming not only to be the Messiah, you're claiming to be the Son of God. What is the implication of that? He is saying that he is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Of course, the Jewish hearer, this is what I'm saying, the high priest turned and was shocked. He turned apoplectic with this. He was shocked to the core. Anong ginawa ng high priest? He tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. It's blasphemous because he is claiming to be equal with God. And that is the proclamation Peter said. And that would lead me to my second P, the proclamation, the declaration, and the confession of Peter. That is very, very important. This proclamation, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is claiming that you are of the same nature with God. This is the claim that you are from God himself. You are claiming that you are our Savior. So there are two claims in this confession. First is that you are the Messiah. And you could relate this now to the promise of salvation to the people of Israel because all of the prophets, all of these uh, heralders of the Messiah will tell you that the Lord, God himself, will save his people. And now you're saying that you are that Messiah? Secondly, he's saying that he's the son of the living God. He's the same nature with God. Why is this important? Why is this proclamation important? Ano po sa palagay ninyo? Bakit mahalaga yun? Bakit ito sinabi o nag, uh, sumagot ang Panginoong Jesus? The Lord Jesus responded to Peter and said, It is not the flesh that, that, that revealed this to you, but, but God himself. Why is this declaration, confession, proclamation important to us as a church and to us as believers in Christ? Let me offer this to you. This confession, the church, shall be built on this ultimate confession. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is what we preach. This is what we preach. This com- confession of Peter is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our God. That is the heart of the gospel. To believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, is the foundation of our faith. It means He is the source of our forgiveness. It means He is the source of love. He is the source of our eternal life. We've read that in John chapter 3. Let me just quickly uh, bring 
uh, this to you in John chapter 3, verses 13 and 17. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Again, somehow referring, alluding to Daniel chapter 7. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That is our confession. And that is why it's important that confession of Peter is so significant, so crucial, so core to our belief as Christians. And we will see how important this statement is. And he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That is the essence of being the Messiah, to be the Savior. And he is the Son of God. He has all the authority. We read that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. And we read this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. And of course, we could see now, again, somehow alluding to the vision of the Son of Man. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is claiming all authority, power, and dominion because he is the Son of God. And that is our proclamation. That is our proclamation. And with that truth, with that truth, with that confession, Jesus made this assurance. Jesus made this pledge. From the question, from the probe, Peter made this proclamation, which Jesus affirmed. And on the strength, on the basis, on the truthfulness of that proclamation, God made this pledge, this surety, this guarantee. What is the pledge? What is the guarantee? What is the certainty Jesus gave upon that proclamation? We could read this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And he said this, And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's a lot of debate on this verse alone because of the many Christian traditions that interpret this, that perhaps Peter could be the vicar of Christ on earth and uh, uh, Peter is the first one uh, who has the keys of heaven, therefore he's the Pope, etc., etc. So, so those are beliefs of many Christian traditions. Now, um, I'd like to offer you these three views. They say that the rock refers to Peter. The second view refers that the rock refers to Jesus Christ himself. And the third one refers to the confession, the combination. For me, and I'd like to offer it to you, I would like to take the third view. The rock refers to the confession made by Peter that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that 
when I will retranslate this to make it the most logical point that I'm driving at is this. Jesus is saying, upon that proclamation that you made, upon that truth, upon that solid truth, rock solid truth that you have just said that I am the Messiah, I am the son of the living God, I will build my church. And when Jesus said the church, he did not mean the common interpretation that we have right now. Our common interpretation of the church is a religious association. The church in the original language means ecclesia, meaning people called out. People called out for a specific purpose or specific intention. And so when I will go back to the verse, I will reinterpret it as this way. And let me offer this to you. Perhaps Jesus was telling him, on this rock, on this truth, on this solid rock truth that you proclaim that I am the Savior, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of the living God, I will build my church, I will call out people. I will bring them together. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is the call. We are called on that basis, on that strength. Are we all not saved by God? We are called by God to, to salvation. Am I right? And with that, we are people who are called out, out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him. Why we were called by God? Simply because we are to declare the praises of him who called us. Where we were called? Out of darkness. When we were called out of darkness, we were saved. The very act of the Messiah to save us from darkness. To where? My destination, diba? What is the destination? To his marvelous light. We are the people called by God. On the basis, on the strength of that confession that Jesus is your, my, our Savior. And for us, he is the Son of the living, sovereign, powerful God. That all authority is upon him. With that strength, Jesus is calling us to himself. The call of God is the call to himself. Because said, I will call my people. Because that's what church is all about. The assembly of the people whom he called, right? So he said, I will call you to myself. Essentially, that's what he's saying. I will build my church. I will build my people. And so God is calling us to himself. The call of God is a very difficult very dangerous call. I say this because the call of God is not a call to convenience. The call of Jesus Christ is not a call to just a physical peace, prosperity, and security. Jesus calls out of us from darkness into his marvelous light. And how are we going to show that? How are we going to show that we are the people called by God the people that will be built by God on the strength, on the basis of our proclamation that he is the Lord and he is the Savior, he is the Messiah. How are we going to show that? How are we going to show God's marvelous light? Jesus made this statement. And that is why I say the call to Christianity is a serious call. This is what he said. 
Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. This is what we are all called to do. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must have self-actualization. Male, He must deny himself. Dun palang parang gusto ko ng umatras. Take up his cross and follow me. The call of the people of God, called by God, the assembly of God, the church of God, is called to the way of the cross. We have this notion that carrying cross is just suffering or mga small, small inconvenience. No. Let me ask you, in the ancient times, what does cross symbolize? Cross is not a symbol in the ancient times, during Jesus' time, cross is not a symbol of religion. It's a symbol of death. And this is the call of God to all of us, to deny ourselves, carry our cross, and follow him. God is calling us to death. Death to yourselves. Kaya nga we should deny ourselves. Death to your passions. Death to all the things that you want. Or even physical death if we want to give our lives to Him. How many people have given their lives for the cause of the gospel, for the cause of that proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Savior and He's the Son of the living God? How many people have carried their cross to the way of death for that proclamation to be true to their lives? And that proclamation that Jesus is your Savior, Jesus the living God, the Son of the living God, having full authority in your life, having full power in your life, that must be true and real, authentic in us. Because that is the call. The call of these people, of us, is to deny ourselves. So Christianity is not a call for convenience. You know, Christianity is not a fate of selfless people who want to get rich. We hear some sharing of the gospel, which is somehow unbiblical, say that if you become a Christian, don't worry, brother, you will all be spared from all your troubles and pain. Wala nang hirap. Wala ka nang problema. Yayaman ka lang, gagaling, lalakas. Yan ang buhay ng Kristiyano. Until we stumble upon Matthew 16, chapter 20, Matthew chapter, chapter 16, verse 24. Sandali, niloloko mo ako, hindi naman pala ito ang pangako ng Christianity. I must deny myself. But I want this. I want this so illicit relationship. I want this sin. Why are you telling me to deny myself? Why are you calling me to death? Patayan talaga. Di ba dapat buhay? Di ba dapat pagpapala, buksan ang mga wallet at dumami ang mga pera? Yun ang gusto natin. Well, gusto naman talaga natin yun. Don't get me wrong, God will bless you. I'm not, I'm not saying that God won't. I'm not saying God will not. We are blessed by God in many, many ways. And I think you will agree with that. But that is not our call. That is not even the gospel. God is calling you to give up 
yourself and follow him because you are called by God because you declare this you proclaim this that you are saved by God you are saved by him he is your salvation he is your Lord that is the implication of that Christianity is not about the self-seeker wanting to hear what they just want to hear Christianity is not for people who are so greedy that they could not even share themselves or what they have with others. Because Christianity calls us to love one another. That's the call of Christianity. Beyond your convenience. Ang hirap maging Christiano. But that is the call of God. It is a call to self-denial. Not for the peace the world offers, the peace that the world offers, not that. Not the pleasure the world offers. God is not calling us there. God is calling us to an authentic peace, authentic pleasures, authentic and real prosperity in Him. That is a life for Jesus. And the life for Jesus also is a life for others. That is the Christian faith. Hindi ito yung para sa akin. Ano bang mapapala ako sa church? Ano bang magandang programa ang meron dyan sa Living Word Fellowship that I could listen to so that I will be just healed? Well, yes, you could say that. We are here to help one another. But the question is this. The real question of Christianity is this. How am I going to give my life to others? How am I going to be of service to others? It's not about yourself anymore in Christianity because Jesus Christ gave the perfect example. He is the proclaimed Messiah, Savior, and Lord. And this Messiah and this Lord gave himself for us. And we should do the same. Now, there is another assurance. The first is that he said, I will call my people. That is the first pledge, the first assurance, the first guarantee. As you proclaim that I am the Savior, I am the Lord of your life, of your situations. Here's the second promise. On that second line, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he said this, the second part of that pledge, the second part of that promise, that certainty. He said this, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So in other words, with the truth, with the a proclamation that you've said that I am the Savior, I am the Lord, I am your Messiah, I will call out people. And the gates of hell will not prevail against these people whom I have called out. So my question is, what is hell? Kasi sabi dito, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, against the church, against the people whom he called. Well, we know that hell is a place of condemnation. It's a place of torment. It's a place where there's an absolute alienation, separation from God. Hell is the way of ultimate death, opposite to what Jesus is offering, a way of life, that he is the truth 
the way and the life. It's the road, the gates of hell is the road separated from God. The gates of hell, according to one Bible scholar, Poole, he said that the gates of hell and all that it represents. What does the gates of hell represent? The gates of hell represents alienation from God. The gates of hell represent punishment of God. The gates of hell represent brokenness, hopelessness, condemnation. If this and all others are what the gates of hell are all about, alienation, separation, brokenness, hopelessness, condemnation, punishment will not come near to the people of God. And that is true. There is no more condemnation in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is correct. Jesus made that promise very true and very real to us. There's no more separation. There's no more hopelessness in you. Yes, I have mentioned a while ago that if you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you will live a rosy life. It doesn't mean that you will not get sick. Some of the Christians will get sick. That is true. That is a fact. But the promise of God is this. Hopelessness, destruction, punishment, condemnation will not come near you. Yes, you will experience trouble. Yes, you will find that it's difficult. But what we have read in Titus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You will experience trouble. Jesus said that. In this world, there will be tribulation. In this world, there will be inconveniences. Tribulation, kapighatian. Ang ganda ng Tagalog, kapighatian. Kayo ba ay namimighati? It's part of life. But, sabi ng Panginoon, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Now that you are suffering, perhaps, you should have hope. Because hopelessness should, come not, should not come near you. Because as people of God, the gates of hell, hopelessness, destruction, condemnation, punishment should not come near. We should always have that hope. Despite our problems, despite our difficulties, despite the sickness or the family situation that you may have, you must always have that hope because that is what God promised to His people. So I'm not saying hindi kayo makasakit, hindi kayo makaproblema. Sabi sa akin ng isang sister, totoo naman yung sinabi mo po eh, nung nagkasyano ako, mas dumami nga problema ko. Si Jesus eh. Pero sabi ko, Jesus did not give us a fine print. Okay pa, naging kristyano ka, pagpapala, pagpapatawa, tapos uh, maliliit na print, pagdurusa, uh, ano tawag ito, um, persecution from the family, etc., etc. Ang liit naman ng fine print. No, it's not a fine print. When Jesus called us, those things are not fine print. He told you, He told us that there will be tribulation. But, this is the promise, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. There will be hope. There will be no more condemnation. There will be forgiveness. There will be no more punishment. What we receive right now, as people called by God on the basis, on the strength that He is God, that He is our Messiah, is this. We were given hope, love. We were given mercy. We were given grace. We are now living a forgiven, a free, a um, hopeful life. 
Kaya ang pangako ni Jesus, I gave them life and life in full. And I've explained to you what life in full means. So I'm going back to the earlier proclamation. He will save us from our alienation from God. Jesus Christ, as He is proclaimed to be the Savior, He saved us from our brokenness brought about by our own sins. He saved us from our condemnation that we deserve punishment. And He brought us to Himself. He brought us to hope. He brought us to a new future. And that should encourage you. That proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, should always encourage us because Him being the Son of the living God, meaning He's all the power, the authority, the rulership in all of this earth to give us all that we need to overcome the world. Because while God did not call us to earthly pleasure, earthly peace, or earthly prosperity, although God can prosper you, don't get me wrong, I know that God will bless you. While it's there, God is calling us to himself. And God is assuring us of this. While there are so many troubles in life, God is calling us to this victorious living. Your victory is assured because the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. No matter what you're going through right now, it will end because the promise is this. The gates of hell, the, the separation from God, the hopelessness will not be with you anymore. And therefore, that proclamation is a very, very powerful proclamation. And I agree that that proclamation is where we stand right now. That is what we are called to proclaim to others. We need to confess us. This and what the hell represents, alienation, separation, punishment, all of this will not prevail over the rock. Who is the rock? Who is our chief cornerstone? Jesus. Let me offer this to you, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 6. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We are called to, to the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A priest mediates the people to God, right? Give offering to God. Offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, I lay, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Who is this chief cornerstone? Jesus. And before I end, as we look into what was asked of Jesus, I mean, what Jesus asked, the probe, and we see the proclamation, and we now understand the pledge, the promise. Let me just uh, end with the last verses. Jesus also said this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, of course, again, this is a subject of debate, but this is my question. What are the keys of heaven? Understanding the question, the probe, understanding the proclamation, understanding the uh, pledge of Jesus Christ, what do you think would be the keys to heaven? 
case of Jesus Christ is none other than this, the proclamation of the gospel. That is the key. And he's talking to Peter. He's giving, he's giving that to Peter, to his disciples, and to all of us. He's, we're also given the authority because binding and losing is a sacerdotal, priestly act of authority. I want to take authority in another term, burden. Because whenever you have an authority, you always have the burden to discharge that authority properly. So when we're given the keys of heaven, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we also have that, that authority, the burden to share. Alam nyo sa pag-share ng gospel, hindi naman kayo nagliligtas eh. You're not the one saving. So share it. God will do the saving. Huwag kayong ma-frustrate if the people whom you share the gospel with will not quickly respond to you. That's okay. Ang duty nyo is to share it. Pag sabi nyo, hindi naman tumanggap, pinapipilit mo pa siya, tanggapin mo na, ay, tanggapin mo ang Panginoon. Hindi, what? no. The Holy Spirit will lead us on the right time, on the right place. And when we share that, they will accept Jesus Christ in their hearts. They will understand the gospel. Huwag niyong gawing para siyang metrics na, oh, ang nasyaran ko, bro, ah, labing lima yung tumanggap sa Panginoon. Hindi ganun. Share it, share it, share it. Share it powerfully by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, let the Holy Spirit work. Wala kayo, hindi naman kayo ang Panginoon. Hindi naman kayo ang Mesias, hindi ba? So, ishare nyo lang. Ibahagi lang ang Ebanghelyo ni Kristo. We need to do that proclamation. That proclamation that Jesus is the Savior, tell it to others. Jesus is their God. The gospel, this good news about Jesus is the way to build the church. This proclamation is the way for us to be built. Because that proclamation is the gospel. The only way that there could be restoration in our church, the only way that there could be restoration in our families, in our country, or even in ourselves is this, the gospel, that proclamation. Now we understand. The gospel that saves, the gospel that calls us to humility, the, go- the gospel that calls us to self-denial, the gospel that calls us to an authentic community, serving others. The gospel that call us to genuine love and compassion, even to your enemies. The gospel that tells us to deny ourselves and follow Jesus Christ. This is the way our homes, our communities, and our church would be built. The gospel that saves. And I hope and I encourage you today, that gospel is very powerful. That authority of Jesus Christ is very powerful as well in your life. Live it. Proclaim it. Let us proclaim the same gospel, the same confession Peter did. Jesus Christ is our Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. May those truths be true in our lives and be real in our daily living. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are with us. Thank you, Lord, for this question, this probe that we have found in your word, asking us, who are we to you? How do we view you? How do we know you? And out of that question,
question, Lord God, you give us that proclamation, that confession, that declaration that you are our Savior. You have saved us from our sins. You have saved us from our situations. You have saved us, Lord, even from ourselves. And with that proclamation, Lord, we also declare, we also proclaim that you are the Son of the living God, powerful, authoritative, majestic, and that you can change us. You can make a, a solution to our situations. May this, Lord, be real in our lives. And then you have promised us, Lord God, you have a pledge that you will call your people based from this truth. And with that, Lord God, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. There's no more condemnation. There's no more separation. There's no more punishment. Rather, Lord, we receive love. We receive forgiveness. We receive your grace. And Lord, may this truth be so true in our hearts that this truth will always be in our hearts, Father, that we will not stop and use this truth, proclaim this truth to all creation, to the people that we know, to our families who don't know you yet. And Father, may this be the start of rebuilding our communities, our families, even ourselves. Your good news that you are our Savior, you will save us, and that you are the Lord of our lives. Be with your people today, I pray, and encourage them. And be with them for the entire week. Protect them, Lord God. All this was in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let us all stand to receive the benediction. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. In the name of our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the people of God will respond in their hearts and in their minds. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, my dear brothers and sisters, and for those of you who have joined us via YouTube and Facebook, join us again next week, and thank you. God bless you all.